Welcome to the Legal One podcast brought to you by Legal One, the leader in school law training. Legal One is part of the NJPSA and FEA family, so we're thrilled to be offering this podcast to you as a way to help you gain a greater understanding of critical legal issues. We want to provide you with convenient, easy access to essential information. Each episode is approximately 30 minutes or less, so it provides a timely way for you to get important information. In each episode, we're going to be reviewing crucial legal principles based on case law, statute, regulation, or other key guidance. We'll talk about why that issue matters today and how the law has evolved. We'll talk about key steps in working with parents and other important stakeholders to positively address the issues in question and know how to get a greater level of understanding of those issues. So let's get started, and thank you so much for joining us for the Legal One podcast. Welcome to the Legal One podcast. My name is David Nash. I'm the Director of Legal Education and National Outreach for the Foundation for Educational Administration, and I'm the Director of the Legal One program. Uh, it's great to be here with all of you uh, for this important podcast episode. Uh, this podcast episode is part of a five-part series on Equity Schools and the Law that is being sponsored by Arthur J. Gallagher Risk Management Services. Arthur J. Gallagher has been a wonderful partner to us on so much of the work we're doing to help uh, school officials and key stakeholders understand the various um, risks and various issues that school districts need to address in order to keep everyone safe. And we are very appreciative that they're supporting this five-part series. Today's episode is focused on the rising mental health needs uh, for those who are in our public schools. Um, of course, uh, the pandemic has had a tremendous impact uh, on mental health, but there are so many other factors that are also impacting student mental health. Um, and in this episode, uh, we're going to discuss those issues, the legal parameters for addressing those mental health needs, and talk about some best practices and resources and supports that are out there. There is no one better to help us with this conversation than Maureen Brogan. Uh, Maureen Brogan has been a tremendous leader at the state and national levels um, when it comes to addressing mental health needs. Um, she oversees the Traumatic Loss Coalitions for Rutgers University Behavioral Healthcare and has been a great partner to us for uh, the last decade um, for us here at Legal One in addressing student mental health needs. Uh, so, Maureen, thank you so much for being with us, and I would love for our audience to learn a little bit more about you and the great work that you're doing. Thanks for the invite, Dave. Really appreciate when people open up to have these conversations, and um, gratitude really for your audience who are saying, this is important. We need to have these conversations. We need to keep these conversations going. When we hear of mental health, um, sometimes we want to shy away or say, not my child, not my student, not my class. We know that here in New Jersey, we're in the middle, like the rest of the country, of a mental health crisis, especially with some of our young folks. With the Traumatic Loss Coalition, we do response work. So if there is a loss, and I think the most difficult losses are when we lose a young person to suicide, we have teams that go out and support the schools and the community to help them work through some of that grief and also, too, to do prevention because we know in the field that exposure to suicide is a risk factor for other people. And I think it's also an opportunity to say like, sometimes it's okay not to be okay. But as people that work with young people, do we know what is not okay? And when they're kind of crossing a line to be like, this is more than just a bad day. So I'm really grateful that people are here to have this conversation. 
because we want to do suicide prevention, not postvention. And when we talk about mental health, we also want to have open conversations about what does that look like? What does it look like in my school? What does it look like in my home? And have these conversations without judgment, without expecting, even putting pressure on ourselves to know it all because we don't. And we know the field's ever changing. We know our young people are exposed to different um, risk factors and different influences, whether that's social media. And we always have peer pressure, but you know, uh, this is social media and peer pressure together. That's like the peer pressure on steroids. And it can negatively impact our mental health. And so, Dave, I'm going to hand it back to you. But I do want to just share that I am a licensed professional counselor. So I have 30 years of experience in the field. And I've also um, done a lot of forensic work um, prior to doing the Traumatic Loss Coalition. So I know many times people, especially in the education system, are like, what about threat assessment? So I have some background in doing many, many, many therapeutic um, threat assessments, forensic assessments, fire setting assessments, um, you know, harm to self, harm to others, danger assessments. So I'm hoping to be able to share some of that with you today. And again, just remind everyone like how important you are in this equation to helping our young people stay well. So Dave, I'm gonna kick it back to you. Thank you so much, Maureen. Um, and as we're getting started, I think I do think it would be helpful for our listeners to understand the specific role of the traumatic loss coalitions, which are in place in every county in the state of New Jersey. So how might school officials be able to um, leverage the wonderful supports and services that are available through TLC? So the traumatic loss coalition, we're in all 21 counties and we have response teams that can help support a school. We have on our website the list of who your county coordinator is, but you can always reach right out to me because I'm the central um, person and I coordinate all the coordinators through the counties. So I'm statewide and you would just need to call us at 732-235-2810 and say, hey, we have something going on, Maureen, and we think we can use some um, support from the Traumatic Loss Coalition. And we'll connect you. And again, we don't go in unless we're invited, which I just want to stress too, is that this is not a mandate. This is if you want to. We don't always have to deploy teams. We could just have a conversation with your your crisis team and bang around some ideas of like, this is working, this isn't working, this is what we're concerned about, or we'll say, have you thought about this? Um, because of having more than 20 years of experience in doing response work and also suicide prevention, please call us if you're saying, hey, we need to do some programming at our schools. Can the TLC help? You know, many of you have taken Science Matter, which is a program that AFSP, Rutgers, and Legal One have done all together. And that's a, an opportunity too for ongoing learning. So I really encourage you to do, whether it's prevention or postvention, reach out to us. And even if it's related to something like bullying, mental health, resiliency, all these other topics, we can also work with you to either create um, or support or give you direction on what might be some really good workshops or professional development for your, um, for your teams and your schools. It's really incredible the scope of supports and services that are available. Uh, so I do urge our listeners to, you know, reach out um, not only when we're dealing with the worst case scenarios. And of course, traumatic loss coalitions are incredibly helpful if we have a tragedy in a school. Um, 
but um, on a proactive basis, reaching out and talking about strategies that uh, we can put in place to be supportive. Um, so Maureen, uh, I do think it's important to uh, have our listeners understand the scope of some of the challenges that we are dealing with. Um, I will sometimes hear from school leaders and educators that, you know, uh, suicidal ideation, of course, is an incredibly serious issue, but it's a high school issue. Uh, can you talk about um, the issues that we are seeing at even younger ages when it comes to uh, suicidal ideation? Dave, I'm so glad that you brought that up because suicide is a human issue. And we started doing some preventative work in middle schools. And people are like, why are you doing suicide prevention in the middle schools? And even several years ago, we were saying, we need to get out of the middle schools and get into the elementary schools. I do sit on the Child Fatality Review Board for the state of New Jersey. We review every death by suicide under the age of 18. And here in New Jersey, not only do we have 15 and 14-year-olds, we have 12-year-olds, 11-year-olds, and yes, on occasion, a 9 or 10-year-old take their own lives here in New Jersey. They just feel like life is not worth living anymore and that they don't see any way out of the pain that they're in. Um, so it's not a high school issue. This is, um, this is an elementary, middle school, high school issue, college issue, lifelong issue. And I have heard from other states, unfortunately, that they've heard of um, five and six-year-olds that actually have taken their own life. And I know it's really hard for us to get our brains wrapped around, like, how can you only be eight, nine, ten and have that much despair? But it does happen. It's not frequent. But we want to be aware of that. The other thing that I like doing about suicide prevention is there's so many other things that if you're doing prevention, it never hurts. So if you're teaching different skills, whether it's to elementary um, or middle school students, suicide prevention is prevention for so many other things. It's prevention for alcohol and drug abuse and misuse. It's gambling addictions. Anything that can be detrimental to the wellness of our young people, suicide prevention can help with. Because a lot of suicide prevention is not even having to say the word suicide. It's about, are you okay? Reaching out, being okay with asking for help, being able to identify something may be off and that I'm going to say something. It's also great to be able to include peers. And we say peers, I'm talking about 10-year-olds can recognize when something's off, a little bit off with their friend or something that their friend might have said. And we also know that doing any of this prevention work, we know that talking about mental health or suicide or all these difficult topics never plant the seed for someone to say, oh, I never thought of that. I think I'm going to think about ending my life. Or I never thought about like um, su suicidal, non-suicidal injury. And I think I'm going to start cutting. That's not how it works. That's not, we're not influencing young people to start thinking a different way. We're giving them the coping skills and the mechanisms that they need so they can identify it in themselves or other people. And that's really what prevention is all about. And one of the reasons, like, I love the Traumatic Loss Coalition, because we do a great job with postvention. But trust me, my teams don't want to do things after the fact. They want to work with you to say, what are other good programs out there that we can start going further upstream and say, hey, let's catch these kids before they even jump into those deep waters. 
it's such an important point. Um, sometimes, of course, we have to deal with crises in the moment, but there is a great deal we can do um, on the preventative side um, and to be proactive as opposed to reactive. And I was going to say, Dave, along those lines, too, when you're talking about instead of reactive, that's what we also say about having your crisis plans, having anything Almost think of all your worst case scenarios and think about how would we handle that here if it were to happen here. And you can always say, we hope it never happens here because that's what we do as well. But what would we need to do? What do we have to have in place if this should happen? Or if we did observe some, someone that was really struggling, what do we have in place? So that's the other part, too, that I love about prevention is like, let's do all of this work when we're not in crisis. So if a crisis does occur, we have the tools to handle it. That's such a such an important point. Um, in the moment, it's very difficult to rationally think through all of the steps that we want to take. And it's next to impossible uh, without some pre-planning for how we address these issues. So putting in place those crisis management strategies and plans and, and proactive uh, approaches really is critical. Um, we do have an important legal framework that uh, everyone should understand when it comes to addressing mental health needs in our public schools. So certainly uh, this um, podcast episode is part of a broader series that's looking at issues of schools equity in the law um, and making sure that individuals are not being discriminated against because of any protected class. And mental health status um, is one of the categories where we cannot discriminate against an individual who might be struggling with mental health needs. Uh, under the New Jersey law against discrimination and under uh, a number of federal laws, um, it's clear that we need to provide access to a public education for all of our students and not in any way discriminate against students who might be struggling with underlying mental health needs. Uh, by the way, it's also true that we need to work with any staff members who might have underlying mental health needs and not decide that you are not able to work for us as a school district um, simply because you have mental health needs. So we have very clear protections in state and federal law, um, and we cannot decide that somebody can't be part of our public school system because of mental health issues that they're dealing with. And we have a legal obligation uh, to try to engage in what's called an interactive process. Uh, that means that school officials uh, should be sitting down um, with kids who are struggling, who might have needs, um, to understand uh, what those needs are, to understand how they can uh, support that student moving forward, how they can set that student up for success. Uh, Maureen, can you talk about um, helping school officials to navigate those conversations with students and parents? It can be very difficult to have a conversation uh, with a parent or student um, about a child's um, underlying mental health needs? Yes, I think too, um, so much is about education. And again, going back to um, prevention and being proactive, I really suggest too that you lay the groundwork and you can't force parents to you know, come to any webinars. You can't force them to come to any online education um, but I think the more materials that we send out and educate our parents about mental health, about wellness, um, it helps us then have those difficult conversations because the time that you're talking to them about their child 
will not be the first time they've ever heard like our school is involved in the mental health and the wellness of all of our students and, and staff. So I really recommend that you do some of that. And also too, do you have opportunities such as back to school nights or like orientations? And perhaps you wanna call the TLC in to do a 15 minute, 20 minute blurb about mental health, about what's going on with that particular age group, whether it's elementary, middle or high school, to share with parents in a very general way of what to look at. Because when you have that one-on-one -on -one conversation with a caretaker, a guardian, a mom, a dad, a grandmother, and you're saying that, hey, we've recognized some behaviors in Maureen. We've recognized some signs that we're concerned about Maureen's um, mental health. We're concerned about her well-being. Is I think if you talk about mental health the same way, think in your mind if a child had some medical condition or had been injured and now we need to make a plan as to wait, they're on crutches. They have to get up the steps. How are they going to get their books? How are they going to get to these classes? You have a conversation with those parents. So think about the mental health component in the same way you would a physical component. What do we need to do? How can we have this conversation with the parents to be like, hey, this is all about helping. This is all about, this is not about judgment. This is not about that, especially blaming, to be like, this is what we're observing. This is what we're concerned about partnering with the guardians to be like, what are you seeing at home? We want to be, we want to be team members. We don't want to be, we're not saying you're doing anything wrong. We're hoping you're not saying we're doing anything wrong. We're just saying that right now we're noticing that Maureen might be struggling. And we think part of the struggling may have an underlying mental health issue. I think too, the more specific you can be with what you're observing, I think it's easier for parents to also um, absorb that. Like if you can identify that, wait, they're sleeping in the classroom. So, you know, they've made um, statements to, to their friends about like just feeling really sad, really depressed all the time. You know, we notice that they're not coming to school and they seem a little bit like out of sorts. They're not, you know, brushing their hair. They're not changing their clothes. What else is going on? Because part of it might be mental health, but the other part too, isn't it worth a conversation if it's something else going on in the home and that the parents can then share it to share it with you and you say, well, how can we be a partner? How can we support your student? So I think the, the uh, we always say connection is protection. So how do you make a connection with the parents? How do you keep those connections with parents? How do you nurture the connections with parents without appearing judgmental or like, oh, this has got to be fixed. Oh, and we suggest that you go get some therapy. Talking about how are you going to partner? Is basically it's saying like we at the school want your child to be successful and they're not going to be successful academically and they're not going to be reading and writing and you know being able to do math problems and problem solve if other things are going on such as anxiety depression you know if there's an underlying eating disorder so I think it's really about having the conversation can be very difficult because you know everyone you want what's best for your child. And when you hear that something might be going on for them, it could be met with defensiveness. It could be met with, met with like, this is really none of your business. But I think if you come from that compassionate, caring part of like, we want success for your child and your student, um, we're on the same page. We want to be of assistance um, and really not 
really not being judgmental and not telling them what they need to do, but sharing, this is what we can do on this end. And also maybe sharing some things that have been helpful, like in the past when we've had other students, because then you're also sending the message that your child is not the first child to ever have a mental health issue, and they're not going to be the last one. So demonstrating that you have some expertise in this and that your heart is really in the success of their child. And, you know, building that trust does take time. It does take effort. Um, it's difficult for students and families to open up on these issues. Uh, but I do think that to the extent that we can destigmatize uh, the issue of mental health, um, and as you said, talk about it the same way we would a wide array of physical health issues. And there's no stigma um, at treating somebody who has uh, hurt their shoulder or, or broken a leg. Um, of course, we're going to provide that level of treatment. Um, can you talk a little bit about one particular uh, set of risk factors that we know uh, can increase danger for students? And that is students who have experienced adverse childhood experiences um, mm -hmm. and the, the increased risk for those students. So thanks, Dave, for mentioning that um, ACEs, that are adverse childhood experiences. We know in the field of suicide prevention, as well as overall wellness, is that Young children, if exposed to any kind of traumatic experience, and then also, too, um, trauma can look in many, many different ways, whether it's abuse, neglect, divorce, having an imprisoned parent. All of these things become adverse childhood experiences. And this has a role on their, well, actually, their brain formation, as well as their own coping, and ultimately, their potentially their mental health, as well as a risk factor for suicide. And part of that is there's a lot of research on that. They know that there's a correlation between trauma and suicide ideation and unfortunately suicide. And they're doing some more research to be like, what is that impact? Because we do know there are people that have had traumatic experience that never become suicidal. But we also know that it's a risk factor. So if we're hearing or we know of some history um, that a child has experienced, trauma or say they recently were in um in a fire and lost their home like that's a traumatic experience so we want to be attention pay attention to what's going on in this child's life what have they shared with us knowing that hey that impacts their resiliency that impacts their worldview and how can we again nurture that help seeking building coping skills um so they tap into their own resiliency. And also too, I always say too, I've seen some, um, I worked in the residential facilities for a, a while earlier on in my career. And some of the young people that were in the residential facilities were actually the most resilient kids that I ever worked with. And I was amazed that young people that had so much trauma in their history were also so resilient. So that's what I also want to say to the audience is that we're always looking at the individual child, both with strengths, and strengths always first. And that's a big prevention piece too, because trauma is not like what's wrong with you, it's what happened to you. And so we wanna always be building on the resiliency, helping them see like, look, you're a survivor. Look at all that you've managed to do despite the fact that you lost your home in that fire, despite the fact that this may have happened to you. So again, kind of taking opportunities to build on strengths and then give them that time and space 
to kind of ask for help for things that they might be struggling with. And, you know, um, talking about uh, finding areas that can help students uh, grow and supporting students, I, I do think we want to think about the frame of protective factors. Um, so, you know, for many students, just finding some way for them to feel a mm -hmm. sense of belonging and connection to something in the school community. Can you talk about the value of things like athletics and extracurricular participation mm -hmm. and just finding some connection? Yeah. And when you hear the Traumatic Loss Coalition, when I might say it's almost like a mantra that connection is protection, that that's really what we want to foster in our young people. Think about it. There are so many things that are really pushing people to divisiveness and disconnection that we need to make a conscious effort to provide as many opportunities for connection. And Dave mentioned some like sometimes it's athletics, but it could also be your drama club. It could also be any clubs or activities that are of, of interest, you know, and affording extracurricular activities, encouraging that. But also to think about your science. Think about the science labs. Do you have an opportunity in that lab to maybe foster some teamwork, foster some connection, maybe provide opportunities for students that normally would not cross paths or work together or maybe choose to work together? Do you have an opportunity to bring folks together and give them something to work on together? Um, and maybe through that activity, they find out that they have something in common with someone that's, oh, that's just my lab partner. But mixing it up, affording opportunities, letting people explore their interests, but also too pushing them a little bit outside their comfort zone to maybe make a connection with some people that they thought they would never feel connected to. So that's, I love the thing about connection is that we can be really, really creative and it doesn't have to be a structured, like, program or a peer-led program like Sources of Strength or Hope Squad, which are great programs to do because they're peer, they're peer-focused and they're peer-run. But what opportunities do we have in the classroom to kind of provide future and ongoing opportunities for connection? And, you know, it's a great point because it doesn't have to be an elaborate, uh, comprehensive, district-wide program um, for every one of these supports. There are things that can happen um, in an in individual classroom. There are important connections that can be made. And, you know, for lots of kids, uh, they might connect to an adult in the school system that's not the adult mm -hmm. you would think of. It might not be the school counselor. It might be uh, somebody working in the main office. And I hear from even young children about how important or how they created a relationship with what they sometimes schools have buddies. And it's like like a first grader might have a fourth grade buddy that, you know, shows them like where the lunchroom is and helps them find their bus and all of that. But that, too, is connection. And therefore, that's also protection. So there is a lot of opportunities that sometimes we're like, oh, my gosh, that's just too oversimplified. But it can be that simple to be like, what are just day-to-day -day opportunities where we can involve more students, involve them with each other, give them opportunities to get to know each other other than just through like a text. Well, they don't even text. It's probably through Instagram or one of the other social media platforms. What are other ways that they can get to know each other other than like, oh, I saw that. I know that about them because I, that was posted. What opportunities do we give them in the school day to really say, oh, I think I know that person a little bit better, or I feel understood. So 
um, look for those. I, that's a challenge. Look for those opportunities in the school day. Absolutely. Um, now, I would be remiss if I if we didn't talk about a an important change in New Jersey law that requires every school to have a threat assessment team in place. Um, and we do know that as we have increasing mental health needs, uh, sometimes there is an overlap uh, between mental health needs and the potential for for a threat to occur in a school. So can you talk about the importance of having a well thought out threat assessment team process um, that involves those who are knowledgeable in mental health? And for example, if you have a student um, who has a disability and has an IEP, the value of having a case manager or someone knowledgeable about that child. And that's imperative. I think almost every child needs a champion and they need a champion in the school. They need a trusted adult that gets who they are, who they are in the world. What's their role in that academic setting? What role do they play as part of this school community? And again, that goes back to the connection, the sense of community, the, the sense that David mentioned also too about belongingness. We also know that hurt people hurt people. So we also know that whether it's bullying or whether it's like some type of threat, and it could be like the, a physical threat, and or it could be a threat of harm to oneself as well, is that we know these things do happen. We know that sometimes there's a mental health um, related issue underlying that. Most times there is to some sort, but we also want to be proactive to say too, like, are we seeing that some youth are, sense, are saying that I don't belong here? That's a red flag. Like when you hear like, I don't belong here. When you hear them talking about harm, when you see them, and I love working with some of our English teachers and when they're writing, like to really be cognizant of what are the themes in their writing? Or if it's like in music, like what are they drawn to? Because these are all potential signs that something might be a little bit off if you're starting to sense like a dark theme or a theme of revenge or something that's always angry. And again, you can be angry and not and non-threatening. So we want to look at are there other behaviors in our students that weren't like their baseline, maybe it was last week or last month or even last year. Like that's not Dave's way of being in the world. And now we're seeing that Dave is acting very differently than he had in the past. He was always so outgoing. He was always the first one to be like on the, the soccer field. Now he barely goes to practice. He has an I don't care attitude. You know, he's been getting in some verbal fights with people. We want to take note of that. And, you know, most times it may not mean that much, but what about that one time, that one time where there really was something to those cryptic messages or those signs that they were showing us. And that's really why we say, too, signs matter. We need to be paying attention to it. And we need to have the conversation to check in with the youth and not be afraid to be like, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? I've noticed this. What's up? Um, and then be ready to hear like what they have to say. Um, because we do know both in suicide and in other threats, when there's been like, um, whether it's to school violence, most times there's been something said, either outwardly said or cryptically said or written somewhere or posted somewhere. So just like they used to say in the, you know, the subways in New York City, you know, see something, say something. That's what also, too, we want to build a community that's, that's concerned about each other, that if you see something, you say something. 
and for the school to say, what do we do if someone is identified? What is our screening process? What are the questions that we ask? What if we do get, uh, yes, I am thinking about doing that, whether it's like something to myself or to the school community or to a identified teacher, if there's any type of threat. We need to have ahead of time, what is it that we do when we do get that answer like, yeah, I was thinking about that, or perhaps, or maybe I am thinking about that. And what do we, what supports do we have in place? And again, we're still going to be non-judgmental, and we're still going to, but part of it is we want to get this youth help, whether it's because they're posing a threat to others or posing a threat to themselves. So what are our screening processes? Who do we have in our school district that does that screening? And what is what do we do when we have an, another layer of concern? And how do we pull in the parents or the guardians about that? And where do we send them if we need, if we don't have the capacity here at our school to do such an assessment? What is our protocol on where to get this assessment? What, what are our requirements for them to be returned back into school? And I know we can talk a little bit more about the return to school and how important that is, um, whether it's after a hospitalization or um, even a threat assessment, and then you're sent out and then you're coming back. Right. That returning is so important. So, um, of course, our conversation today is really the tip of the iceberg. Uh, we know that these issues are so complex. You and I have provided uh, training over the last decade together on these issues that has you know, spanned, you know, multiple days of training just for one cohort um, mm -hmm. that's working with us. I do want to mention a couple of resources for our listeners who would like some additional information. Uh, the New Jersey Department of Education put out a very comprehensive mental health resource guide for schools um, a year ago in 2022. And that is a very valuable resource. Maureen, I know you were um, involved in reviewing that, mm -hmm. and I had the opportunity to work on a piece of that as well. Um, so that's a very important resource. Um, and we now have a national hotline, a 988 number uh, that will work anywhere in the nation uh, for a student who might be struggling uh, with suicidal ideation. Uh, so, Maureen, can you talk a little bit about uh, maybe uh, as we wrap up some other um, resources that our listeners could mm -hmm. look to if they would like more information on these topics? I also um, always suggest looking into like not only like second floor added, um, it's in New Jersey, as well as um, uh, the crisis text line. And you, all you have to do is text like NJ or home to 741741. That's a great one for, for young people because they like to text, but also to New Jersey then is start kicking off, and it's just in the infancy stages, their NJ4S, which is really their, um, it's what they're going to work statewide student support services. Like it's a system to really have this hubs where schools can refer families to, and it doesn't always have to be schools. They can be self-referred. It can be other organizations that refer. So look for that to be like, do a little homework to be like, oh, who's, who holds my NJ4S? program in my region. Most of them are county, but some counties share. And I know like in Middlesex, it is like Rutgers UBHC holds it. So be on the lookout because they're going to be doing things and they're really um, some clinical work, some non-clinical work, because that's the other part as well. Not all prevention is clinical. There's a lot of other programs that are out there that don't have to be clinical and still can be a great asset for prevention. So, of course, for our listeners, um, New Jersey is unveiling this major new uh, NJ4S initiative uh, that hopefully will 
provide for a more seamless system of supports uh, for our students who are in need. Uh, so we encourage you to uh, look for some more information uh, coming out from the state of New Jersey and from uh, New Jersey Principals and Supervisors Association um, as we get more information about that uh, system of supports. I will mention as we are wrapping up that the state of New Jersey did recently pass a law requiring health insurance providers to provide coverage uh, for mental health services. Uh, so it may be that uh, parents are not aware that they do have coverage already for some additional supports. Um, and there is a requirement for us to um, work with uh, families and to provide reasonable accommodation uh, for students so that we can, to the greatest extent possible, keep our students in school. Uh, Maureen, I know there's so much more we can talk about, but I want to thank you for being such an incredible champion uh, for student mental health needs and for all the great work that you're doing on a daily basis. No, thanks, Dave. I always appreciate the invite, and I really encourage the audience to, to model that behavior. Reach out, connect. We're in this together, and together we will be saving young people's lives and not only saving their lives, but making their lives better. So so thank you for this opportunity, and um, thank you to all the listeners today. So thank you, everyone, for uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule to listen to this important podcast episode. Um, we want to thank Arthur J. Gallagher, again, for being an, a wonderful sponsor of this series um, and helping us understand a wide array of issues related to schools, equity, and the law. Um, and for all of our listeners, um, we encourage you to look to Legal One for additional supports that we can provide. Uh, be safe, be well, and we look forward to having you with us on future episodes of the Legal One podcast. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like more information on the topics we covered, a full list of episodes, or a preview of upcoming topics, please visit our website at www.njpsa.org legal1nj.